everyone, and welcome to Trade Talks. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to talk with you again, and I'm thankful that you are out there and willing to listen to what I am talking about today. And what I'm talking about today is this important subject of the family. We've called it Family Matters, and we're going through the book of Genesis, and we're just looking at some families that had some issues and, and looking at other scripture that back that up and just seeing why our family does matter and how important our families are, and just taking a real-life look at how we can deal with some of these things that come up within our families. And today, we are talking about the blame game. Truth be told, we have been playing the blame game for years. Many of you started playing the blame game when you were just young, and we unfortunately are continuing to play it today. Just yesterday, I was reading an article where Russia is now attacking the Ukraine, as you know, but it's not their fault that they're still attacking the Ukraine. And honestly, it's not even the Ukraine's fault that they're still being attacked. Believe it or not, it's America's fault. I'm not exactly sure what America has done to cause Russia to stay in Ukraine and continue to drop bombs and kill innocent people, but it's our fault. What is Russia doing? Man, they're playing the blame game. I remember when my kids were just little and we had a toy box in the black back porch area. It was um, built in, so it was like an extra room back there. We made it the kids' playroom. And we went back and something was in the toy box and we went to pick it up. And every single one of their toys was nasty, sticky with syrup. And at that time, you know, Coleman was, I think, three and Cade was two. He wasn't quite talking yet, but definitely running around. And we said, boys, come here. And they both came in and said, who did this? And obviously, Coleman points at his brother and says, Cade did it. Well, we had no way to know if Cade did it or not because the poor boy couldn't even defend himself. And now we're, what, um, 13 years down the road? And really, it hasn't changed a whole lot. They are still very good at playing the blame game. And and it comes natural. It's something that we do, you know, dealing in Christian school ministry for the past 20-plus years. I have heard the blame game take place numbers of times. You know, we say that no one wants to go down by themselves. No one wants to sink on a sinking ship alone. And so when you bring a child into your office and you're asking what is going on, were you all by yourself? Who was with you? It's without fail, there's always somebody else involved. There's there's a partner in crime, and they are very quick to blame their partner in crime. Only one time, I think, in 22 years that, that hasn't happened when we called someone into my office. And this boy was, I was sitting in my office talking. I heard this huge crash, went running into the bathroom, and there was a urinal on the floor and about a billion pieces. And I asked the young man that was in there, what in the world happened? He said, well, I just wanted to see if I could surf on top of the urinal. <laughs> and there, there was nobody else in the bathroom. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. Just in his own mind, he wanted to see if he could stand on top of that urinal and surf on it. Obviously, it was a big no, and they bought a new urinal for the boys' bathroom. But anyway, nine times out of ten, they're going to blame somebody else. And in this blame game and blaming somebody else, I mean, honestly, we get it honestly. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with our great ancestors. 
And the first sin ever committed on planet Earth was blamed on somebody else. You all know the story. You know how it all fell out. God comes down after Adam and Eve have sinned. Adam, what have you done? It wasn't me. It was the woman that you gave me. Woman, what have you done? It wasn't me. It's the serpent that you created. So Adam and Eve in their own humanistic, at this time, sinful nature do not want to take the blame. They want to shift the blame on somebody else. One of the greatest books I've ever read on this topic, dealing with blame shifting and taking the blame on yourself, was written by Jocko, a former um, Navy SEAL, and it's called Extreme Ownership. And throughout that book, he's just talking about taking ownership as the leader upon yourself for what has gone wrong. And man, that book totally changed my mindset as a leader in our ministry. And none of us want to take extreme ownership. None of us want to take the blame ourselves. So from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, throughout the Bible, throughout human history, we all play the blame game. So today, as we talk about family matters, I just want to talk about three ways we play the blame game within the walls of our home, within the walls of our own conscience. Now, the illustrations I use scripturally could probably be used in any of these three ways. Maybe these three ways seem kind of the same or synonymous to each other, but I hope you will see the differences as I talk about them in the ways that we do play the blame game and and how we do need to um, be careful in how we are not taking ownership of some issues that are happening within the walls of our home. So the the first way I want to look at today is the justification of sin. We play the blame game to justify sin. Okay, we play the blame game to deflect guilt. And we play the blame game because I'm a victim. So we do it to justify sin. We do it to deflect guilt. And we do it because we think we are justified in doing it. Um, Again, you can see how it ties in with justified sin, but just hear me out. But it has the idea of this because I'm a victim, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we get there. So number one, why do we play the blame game? We play the blame game to justify sin. And one of the greatest ways we play the blame game to justify sin is to justify sin in our marriages. You know, I am the way that I am because he is the way that he is. And I do what I do because she does what she does. And we're very quick to justify our attitude. We're very quick to justify our actions. We're very quick to to make excuses for our anger issues, our screaming or our yelling or our um, never being at home on somebody else. It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And we've got to, again, be careful with this and take ownership of what's happening within the walls of our home. So so let's get really real with this instead of general. Let's look at the idea of adultery or pornography. You know, I am falling into, somebody might say, uh, extramarital affair. Okay, I'm falling for, a uh, wife might say, this guy at work. Why? Because he is meeting my needs. My husband has no idea what my needs are. 
He's gone all the time. He's never at home. He has no idea how to talk to me. He has no idea how to listen. He has no idea um, what's going on within me. But, you know, so-and-so at work, he gets me. He understands me. He he knows how to just um, bring excitement into my life. He knows how to bring meaning into my life. And I know this relationship isn't right, but... If you knew what I was living with at home, you would understand why I'm doing this at work. Okay, flip. Yes, I am heavily involved in pornography, but it's not my fault. Um, my wife is just, uh, she doesn't know how to understand me. She doesn't understand the needs that a man has. It's all about her she she doesn't ever look my direction. She never lets me touch her. It's always about her and the kids. It's never about me. I could sleep on the couch for three weeks and she wouldn't even know I wasn't there because she's always with the kids or in the kids' room. And and I I have been driven to this sin. I have been driven to into pornography. It's not my fault. You've got to understand why. See what we've done. We've, we've taken the circumstances that we are in and we're using them to justify the sin that's in my life. Listen, God does not give justifications for sin. God doesn't look down and say, you know what? I, I know you did marry a bum and I'm so sorry he is the way that he is. Listen, if you want to cheat on your husband with this other guy and he wants to cheat on his wife because you two are soulmates, and I dropped the ball. I didn't realize it when I brought you and your husband together and he and his wife together. So go ahead and do this and, and it'll be okay. Right? God is not sitting in heaven saying that. And you know that. There is no justification for my sin. God, you are married to the right person right now. Now, you could be in a mess of a marriage or you could be in the middle of a divorce. And I get that. Okay, but in these situations that I am talking about now, we have got to learn how to deal with that and talk through this. And I, I preached a message on this last week. You can go on YouTube and, and watch it there. I don't want to get into it. But if both partners are willing to have an open, honest conversation, there is hope for the marriage that you are in. Okay, an extramarital affair, pornography is not the answer. There is no lasting satisfaction with that. There's nothing but guilt and oppressive feelings with it. And it's just going to lead to greater problems as you go on in your marriage. So please do not justify it. But that's what we do. Okay, we justify our sin based on the circumstances that I am in. And I see it all the time, especially in this area of our marriages. And again, we go back to Genesis chapter 3. It's not me. The reason I did this is because of the woman. And the woman says, it's not me. The reason I did this is because of the serpent. The devil made me do it. They're justifying their sin based on the actions of another. We've got to stop this justification thing. You've got to stop the sin that you're in right now. You've got to stop the attitude. You've got to stop where you are and make things right with God and cut off this relationship, cut off this pornography addiction, 
whatever you have to do, take extreme ownership of it. Stop justifying your sin. Number two, we play the game, blame game in order to deflect guilt. Okay, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong. Okay, I, I know what's happening right now. It I shouldn't be happening. Okay, but all right, it's not. It's not me. Okay, it's it's not it's not my problem. Listen, <laughs> the church just isn't paying me enough. I mean, the church should understand that I I have three children and I'm trying to make the ends meet. They're only paying me X amount a year, and and when I'm taking this offering over to drop it off at the bank or, you know, I get this extra check at Christmas time or this extra cash that I'm supposed to put in the church offering. Nobody knows it's coming, right? Nobody knows I'm supposed to be putting it in the offering box and it's not going to hurt anything for me to take that and put that in my pocket. It's not going to hurt anything for me to, to take some of that money before it's counted and deposited and, and help our family out with it. I mean, if you would see the raw deal that our family has gotten, if you knew how much money this church had, you would know, man, this this isn't a big deal. I mean, if anything, they, they owe this to me. Okay, so what's happening? I'm deflecting my guilt. Okay, I, I know I'm stealing. I know this is wrong, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna deflect and dodge because it, it's the church's fault. You say, well, Trey, that's justifying sin. I told you a lot of these. Um, or synonymous, but but hear me out as I do this. When I look at deflecting guilt, I think a prime example of that is Aaron with his brother Moses. You remember the story. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he has the Ten Commandments. I mean, these rocks were carved out by God, and, and God writes the law on it, and he comes down and he sees the children of Israel partying, and going back to the the ways of Egypt and this um, worship of a golden calf, and Moses and his anger, which I think he was a meek man, but he did have a little short fuse in his anger. He takes those tablets, he slams them down on the ground, okay, and he deals with Aaron, and Aaron says, "What? It's not my fault. These people made me do it." And not only that, man, we took the gold and we boiled it and up came this calf. I mean, it was a miracle, right? I don't know how it happened. It's it's deflecting guilt. He he knows he's caught red-handed. He knows he shouldn't have done it. He knows he can look up and see the God of Israel, but but he's got to deflect that guilt on somebody else. It wasn't me, it's them. It it wasn't me. This this just kind of happened. Okay, and, and we we do it again all the time. My kids are deflecting guilt. I'm deflecting guilt. Okay, I, I want to push that off and make it someone else's fault. Okay, for the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. We cannot find ourselves getting into this deflecting guilt mentality. And then finally, number three, where I want to spend the next few minutes, is justifying our sin because I'm a victim. Justifying our sin because I'm a victim. All right, so let's let's play this out. Um, husband and wife are driving down the road. Actually, just let's just make it mama. Mom's driving um, down down the country road, and her son's in the back. He's in his car seat, but it's not as tight as it should be. 
and her cell phone rings and it falls down between the seats. And mom reaches down to pick up the cell phone, swerves um, and overcompensates too much on the country road. The car starts to spin. It flips. And and the baby in the back is okay, but it's very evident that the baby has been banged up pretty badly and, and has some trauma in the brain area where he has hit his head so many times with the window and back of the car seat. And so the ambulance comes, take him, the doctors come in, mom's okay, but comes in and tells mom and dad, listen, um, your, your boy's going to be fine, but he did suffer some brain damage and, and there's, he's going to be a, a little slow, but, but we're praying that everything will come out and keep praying that everything comes out. Okay. If the doctor would say that. So the family's praying, everybody's praying and miraculously, um, the son starts to, to develop, he starts to grow and, and he seems like all the other children. Okay. Um, uh, maybe there's a little evidence of some trauma there, but really not much in comparison to the other kids. But okay. Mom remembers Okay, what has happened? And now, early on, um, you know, little Sam is playing, and he gets angry, and he starts pushing and hitting other kids, and and she comes and grabs him and pulls him away, and you know, tells the other moms, "I'm sorry that he's this way." Um, you know, when we had a car accident, when he was little. He's he's just not quite mature as other kids, and he just kind of has some inappropriate behavior at times. I'm sorry. And mom takes, you know, little Sam away. They have an ice cream cone and everything's good, right? And now Sam's in fourth grade and he's he's trying to get down the multiplication t- multiplication tables and, and he just can't do it. And it's not that he can't do it. He just doesn't want to do it. And he doesn't want to learn them. He doesn't care. He's not studying. And the teacher sends a note home and says, hey, I need Sam to memorize the multiplication tables of four he should have known these already. And mom goes to Sam, talks to him about it. And Sam says, I just can't learn them. So mom sets up a meeting with a teacher, comes in and says, listen, you know, Sam was in an accident when he was little. Um, he's not going to be able to learn these timetables. You're going to have to excuse it because of what happened to him. All right. You see where I'm going. Okay. What happens then as Sam grows, as Sam becomes used to being a victim, He was a victim of an accident when he was as a child, and now he's starting to figure out that because I'm a victim, I can get away with certain things, and he's not stupid. He understands how to do this. Well, that only goes so far, but eventually Sam's got to stand on his own two feet. But now that Sam's on his his own two feet, you know, he's, he's gotten fired from three jobs, he can't support his wife and their firstborn child. And when confronted out of total frustration, finally with his wife, he's like, listen, I can't help it. I can't focus on these jobs. I can't keep them up because of what happened to me when I was a child. I'm going to have to be home. I'll stay home and kind of help take care of our kids. You're going to have to be the one to go to work. So she agrees to do that. But then when she gets home, Sam leaves because he says he just needs a break from the kids and before you know it, he's coming home later and later and later, smelling more and more and more like alcohol. And she confronts Sam and says, listen, what are you doing? I can't help it. I can't deal with the pressure of staying at home. It's not my fault. You know, when I was a child, I had this brain damage and I can't deal with it now. I'm having trauma issues because of it. And the only thing that can help take this away is the alcohol. You see what's happening? 
Okay, Sam has used his past as being a quote unquote victim to justify okay, his current circumstances and his sin. I look at Saul and and I see Saul doing this with Solomon. You remember Solomon says, listen, do not offer the sacrifice till I get back. I'll be back in seven days. When I get back, you do it. And Saul, he is getting some pressure. I'll, I'll give you that. But he also doesn't waste any time or give Solomon any extra minutes to get back. As soon as he can, he offers a sacrifice. And while he is offering it, the Bible says, Solomon shows up. And he says, what are you doing? And Saul says, listen, these people pushed me to it. It's not my fault. You know, I, I was fine just as a shepherd, but you made me this king. You put me in this position. These people were, were pushing me to do this. The Philistines were fighting us, and I thought I needed to do it. And I knew I had to make this decision. And I wanted to do something else, but I couldn't take it anymore. And it's the I, I think five times in that passage, Saul says, I, 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 I. Why? Because he was the victim. I am a victim of the circumstances of God. I am a victim of Solomon putting me in this position, and I should have the right to do what I want to do. Things didn't go well for Saul with that attitude for the rest of his life as a king. And and we will look back and use our past as an excuse for our present. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to, and I know maybe some of my listeners have gone through some real trauma as a child or a young person. And listen, if you have been abused or something has happened, maybe a husband, a wife is listening and, and you know your husband abused you and you were a victim in that relationship, I am not trying to be unsympathetic to you. Trust me. That is an awful thing. And I can't even imagine okay, what you're dealing with right now. But I will say this. Okay, God is sovereign. And, and we have become victims, all of us, but victims of the sovereignty of God. By the sovereignty of God, Saul was placed there. By the sovereignty of God, I was put in this relationship for whatever reason. By the sovereignty of God, um, I was in this church when this awful thing happened to me. It's a sin-cursed world, and God does not justify sin. But in, in God's sovereignty, he's going to somehow make this good, and I've got to see that in my life and learn how to deal with it. I hope that makes sense. But please, please don't use that as an excuse, as a victim to fall into sin. I, I know personally people who have left their wives or have left their husbands, have gone off in, in a completely immoral relationship. And, and when confronted why, they say, because when I was a child, this and this happened to me. I am so sorry, and I mean that from my heart this happened to you. And, and if some of you are dealing with something like that, man, find a counselor or call me, and I'll be glad to talk through with you some of these things and, and scripturally look at it. But please don't use that to justify what is going on in your life right now or even by any means think you can do this to somebody else. That is not an excuse. Okay, Don't allow your circumstances of the past to navigate your present or circumnavigate your future. Okay, understand that it is not a justification. God does not look and say, okay, because of your past, I get it. You have every excuse to do what you're doing. No, there is no excuse in the eyes of God to continue in sin. 
And we know what Romans says, chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Okay, no, 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 no. God forbid. Absolutely not. So I hope that helps today. As you look at the book of Genesis, man, you're going to see the blame game going. I mean, when when poor Jacob wakes up with Leah, not Rachel, I'm sorry, it's just our custom. So, so Laban blames the custom of the day to justify his sin. And it's over and it's over again. Matter of fact, you're going to hear it on the news tonight. You're going to hear it on interviews. You're just going to hear it maybe even within your family as kids are talking. So put away the blame game. Take total ownership of what's going on and learn to deal with the circumstances that you have been given Okay, while trusting in the sovereignty of God. So I hope that's a help to you as we talked about family matters and dealing with the blame game. If this podcast will be a help to someone else, please feel free to share that with them. I would love for you to subscribe and to rate this podcast to make it readily available for others that would benefit from it as well. Have a great day, everyone. And once again, thank you for listening to Drake Talk.